Welcome to Scottish Business Network Podcasts. I'm Christine Essen, CEO and co-founder of Scottish Business Network. And today I'm delighted to welcome Heather Matthews, award-winning MD of Littles, Scotland's oldest and largest chauffeur drive company, a family business established in 1966 and a global family business. Heather's almost 30 years experience in this travel industry and with a particular expertise in transport, event management and logistics, more of which later. Heather started in the family business thinking this would be a short term role, yet she has moved up the ranks of the company and led it through global expansion, bringing innovation into this industry and is a strong advocate for family businesses as a key element of Scottish business growth. Welcome, Heather. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for asking me to do this. A joy for me, Heather, it really is. Now, the question I always ask is, what's the view from your window today? So I'm very fortunate that we are based on Paisley Road West um, and we are directly opposite Bella Houston Park. So the view for me at the moment is the other side of the road um, and the park and all the trees, which at the moment are bare, but in midsummer are, are, are full of green leaves. And on a sunny day, my staff will often go across and, and sit in the sunshine and have their lunch. So we're very fortunate. And uh, do, do they partake in the famous Glasgow one in a sunny day with the taps off? Is that a view from the window as well? <laughs> Unfortunately, we, we measure when summer starts by the first taps off walking along Paisley Road West. Sadly, it's often, well, it could be March if it's a nice hot day. <laughs> oh, lovely. For, for those Glaswegians listening to us around the world, that will be a, an immediate picture of home with that conversation. But I, I don't just speed ahead Heather but actually you're looking at new premises as well will the view be as nice from your new premises? So um, yes we are looking to move we've been in the same premises since 1979 and we have outgrown that recently and I can go into detail of why in a wee while but we're actually moving to a Govan workspace um, property within Govan and uh, I'm not entirely sure that we'll have the same uh, the same view but there are parks locally and we will be able to walk around uh, so it'll be a, a very different experience but still still staying local to where we are and where we've always been we started in Govan in 1966 um, as a business so and uh, that- to stay local is, is important to us. Absolutely. And that's a, a lovely into just a bit of background, Heather, for, for those not fully aware of the little story. It was 1966 and your dad and your uncle bought this business from a Mr. Little. Can you tell us a wee bit more about that? Yes, of course. So um, my dad and my uncle Mike were young men in their 20s not necessarily sure what to do with their lives, were friends with uh, someone called George Little, whose dad, also called George, George Little, owned three uh, cars, uh, very much a taxi service at that point, and the Littles were due to be emigrating to Australia. So my dad and my uncle Mike uh, did some sort of deal, I think with the help of, of their parents, my grandparents, um, to buy these three cars from Mr Little, and uh, they set up uh, they kept the name uh, and it's always been, it's quite funny if we get a phone call, someone looking for Mr Little we know they don't actually know us because our family name is not Little, it's Wills 
So my dad and, and my uncle started um, working uh, in this business. My, my uncle was a mechanic, so he at least could look after the cars. And my dad was very entrepreneurial, um, even though he was a very young man. And they, they started very much thinking just about the service and how they could provide the best service to their clients. They've always, they always saw it from the customer point of view. My dad, even to this day, if he was looking at buying a new car, he would sit in the back and see how would the customer feel in the back of this car? Is there enough leg room? Is there enough room for, for the luggage? It's that sort of thing that they, from the very beginning, always concentrated on. So it was three cars, then um, relatively slow growth. Um, initially, there was no one to answer the phone. So if they were out driving, then they, they couldn't then get more work. It, it's quite odd looking back at how things worked in those days. But um, the business uh, grew gradually over a long period of time. Initially, was wedding cars and there wasn't any sort of need for corporates or, or leisure travel to the same extent there is now um, and the business grew over over a period of time and in 1979 we moved to where we are now which is in, in Paisley Road West. So great story about your dad and, and your uncle and I love that theme of entrepreneurial activity coming through and I have to confess an interest here I am the person who hired your company for my wedding cars many, many years ago. So I do have an interest in this story. But yet here was Heather knowing of the family business. I'm sure like all of us getting involved in it over the summer times. But your degree is in psychology. Is that right? At Glasgow University and then your postgraduate degree. So how did you become involved? for short term and then long term in this family business? I think as so often happens in family businesses, the children of the family um, start working in the business without necessarily a long term ambition to be in that business. My story was coming out of school, going to university, not being entirely sure what I was going to do, did an arts degree came out the other end, end of that, still didn't really know what I was going to do, uh, did my postgrad, which had some marketing in it, um, was 21, had three jobs going at that point. I was working in a pub, I was selling chocolates for someone down in, in Lanarkshire, and I was doing some outside catering, a lot of sort of waitressing stuff, as you do when you're 21. And my dad had asked me if I would possibly help him with a marketing project so he'd identified that financial services was a potential growth business for Littles. Edinburgh was starting to be seen as being a centre of financial services and my initial project which was six months was to come into the business and research London-based investor relations or investment banks who might have people that they wanted to bring to, to Edinburgh. Um, for financial roadshows so my initial job was was there was no email there was there was nothing (laughs) no internet so I had a big book that had massive big book that had all the names of all the people in investor relations in London and I basically had to phone them all up which took about six months Um, but it really did set us up during the 90s for a big growth a big jump so Heather, from this very thick notebook as you traipsed around the streets of, of London and Edinburgh, the business started to expand. Can you talk me through the expansion in, in the UK and then globally? Because that's such a strong um, innovation factor within Littles. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We 
had always done a little bit of international work. It started in the 80s where there was an organisation called the International Limousine Association, which was essentially businesses like ours um, across Europe initially who all realised that there was an opportunity for each of them by passing business to each other. So if, if, if someone in Paris had, had the requirement for a car in Scotland, then they, they, they would come to us and vice versa. So there was this very informal arrangement between ourselves and a number of other businesses across Europe. And in the early 90s, when the financial services business took off, these people who were doing financial roadshows, yes, they were coming to Edinburgh, but they were also going to Paris or they were going to Frankfurt. And we realised that if we approached our London clients and said we can also organise the Paris leg and the Frankfurt leg, then we would then grow our own business uh, because that there was an advantage to us in doing that. There was an advantage to the client because they had one point of contact who would organise it all. And we would look after it in exactly the same way as we did in Scotland. We would check that the itinerary made sense. We would check that the driving times between meetings were sufficient. We would arrange for any paperwork that needed to be in the car to be sent ahead. All the things that add in terms of the service. It's not just a driver and a car at that point. It's very much an additional place for people to work between meetings and sufficient way to, to have multi-meeting or lots of meetings in the one day. So that started to grow, again, probably relatively slow initially. And then in the last, I would certainly say in the last few years, that side of the business um, pre-COVID was was significant. We were, we were at that point, 40% of our business was international and 60% was Scotland just before the pandemic. And that had grown over quite a long period of time. But at the moment, um, we're back in the situation that the international business is very strong again, which is fantastic. Yeah. And I'm always interested with, with businesses, no matter where you're based, when you grow internationally, Heather, how do you ensure that the Little's values and philosophies are exactly the same for your customers in Paris and in Germany as they would be as if they were in, in Glasgow or Edinburgh? How do you get that culture to, to eke through the whole experience? It's a good question because it is really important that people who are used to using Little's in Scotland or in London when they get to wherever they're going in the world, is it going to be the same? And we do that by having very strong relationships with our suppliers. A lot of them go back to the 70s, people that we've been been dealing with for a very long time. I always know who my opposite number is, uh, who I can speak to if I, if I have an issue. We have a very, very good and long onboarding process for new suppliers. And we do lots of checks on existing suppliers to make sure that the service that they're offering is exactly as it should be. Some of our clients have very specific requirements as well. We have a very large piece of business at the moment, which is for clinical trials, and that's clinical trials transport. And there are very specific things that have to happen for clients who've been picked up to go for a clinical trial. So we have... uh, spoken to all of our suppliers who are doing that on a regular basis and they know exactly what they have to do. Therefore, the, show, the, the client should not see any difference, no matter where they're travelling. 
Yeah. And I think you, you've hit on two real key issues there. It's about the onboarding, but it's also about you ensuring that the experience is the same. You're not just handing it over. As I always say to anybody going overseas, don't hand, hand it over and think, oh, they'll just do the same as us experience it yourself go out there develop that relationship and as you say ensure the onboarding we get it right from the start absolutely and it might not be exactly the same but as long as the client knows for instance airport arrivals pickup points in airports are different all over the world but as long as our client knows what's got to happen there are certain airports in america for instance where the chauffeurs are not allowed to go into the airport we have to organize a separate meet and greet But as long as the client's aware of exactly how it's going to work, we also have within our software system an SMS that goes out to all passengers who are travelling. So as soon as they land in an airport, even if they've never been there before in their lives, they land, they put their phone on, the first message they get is from us saying, the chauffeur for your hire at X time will be whoever it is, and a phone number. And that means if they come into the terminal building and they can't see the chauffeur, They've got a number, they've also got our number, and we then work very hard to make sure that clients and chauffeurs meet each other. It's not as simple as just organising it. We oversee the whole thing. That's the service. That's what we do. And that's the the value add. I know majority of our listeners to this podcast, Heather, are international business people. So we're all just empathising with that. Switch on your phone and you know where you're going to be met. Switch on your phone and you know somebody's taking care of you. When, when you land in Phoenix, Arizona, you just want to know that you can get out of that heat and into a car and onto your destination. It's such an important part of the whole process, which you've obviously keeping in top Absolutely. of. And for us, our, our clients are not necessarily the people in the car. It's someone organising it on their behalf. And they need to know that it's going to go well. So we also have status updates that can go out to the booker. So they know when the chauffeur is in position. They know when the client's on board. They know when they've been dropped. And that can be done either by email or by SMS. So it's all about keeping the lines of communication open so that all the stakeholders, whether it's the person in the car or the person who's booked the car, the person who's booked the business travel agent so there's quite often a big chain of people um, between us and the person actually in the car but everyone needs to know what's going on um, so that they feel reassured that uh, the ultimate client is being looked after. I've got to admit Heather as you're telling me this wonderful story about the innovation within the business I'm imagining your new premises is a bit like the Starship Enterprise with all these control panels and uh, Captain Kirk at the middle of it, making sure that everybody gets the right place at the right time. I don't know if it's like that or if it's all in just one PC, but I, I like the dream picture I have there of you as Captain Kirk organising. I'm happy with that dream. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say anything else. <laughs> Absolutely. And now our focus in this conversation is very much about the future. And you've spoken there about innovation, which is one of the three themes I'm thinking about, about you've got the innovation within the business, about resilience and peer to peer learning from my research has come through very strongly as part of your story and part of the little stories. 
I want to just take a few moments because this is about leadership and no greater test to, to leadership has been the past couple of years. Um, you undertook a critical business shift um, during the, the COVID pandemic. Could we just paint a picture of February 2020? Um, as you say, significant growth in international markets. You knew where the business was going. You had a clear strategy. And yet you had one day which told you, Heather, that things were not going to be the same in the near future. Can you just talk me through and paint that scene of February, March 2020, if you can oh, yeah. name it? It's one of those things I uh, I even look back on now and I can't quite believe, but it, it did happen. So we, as we've discussed, were in a very strong position. 2019 was our best year ever. Um, we were coming out of that looking at a very strong 2020. Um, as with everyone else in the world, the pandemic crept up and you thought it's not going to happen, it'll be fine. And then suddenly you realised it was about to. And I, 10 days out I think from lockdown, we saw in one single day, we had £145,000 worth of cancellations. And at that point, the severity of this really hit me because I realised that um, we've always we've always done okay during recessions because there's been um, if there's been a change, for instance, in the banking crisis in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Obviously, the corporate side went down, but then leisure side was okay. So because we have quite a large um, spread of clients across all markets. We've, we've kind of managed to survive no matter what's happened in the past, but the pandemic was different because that meant that travel itself was not allowed. So travel just stopped and we lost 90% of our Scottish business pretty much overnight. So I initially spoke to my staff about 10 days before lockdown and said to them that this, this could get bad and I asked them all to commit to reducing their hours. So initially it was a 60% of hours for 60% of pay um, discussion, which they all agreed to, but very quickly after that we realised that wasn't going to be enough. So we were forever grateful for furlough when that arrived, that really for us and for many people across my sector, I, I, I always see ourselves as being part of the tourism and hospitality sector in Scotland because of what we do and for many of us furlough really um, saved the business. So all of the staff were put on furlough and the business continued to run such as it was um, with the tiny amount of business we had by myself and the other two senior leaders in the in the business, my general manager and my operations director. And really for about 18 months, it was just the three of us um, keeping things going. And the one piece of business that did keep going was our clinical trials business. That continued to happen because once people, patients are on a clinical trial, um, the pharmaceutical company is is wanting to keep them on that trial, otherwise the data can't really be used. So um, there was lots of things that happened to allow people to continue to get treatment during COVID and we continued to be able to provide transport for them. So that kept going. Um, it was a very difficult period, obviously. Uh, we had to make some of our staff redundant. That's the most difficult thing I've ever done, was have to make a lot of people who'd worked for us for a long time redundant. 
And we tried to pivot. You know, there was so much in the press about pivoting, and and unfortunately, we just we couldn't we couldn't do anything because we had we had cars and we had drivers, and you weren't allowed to do anything like that. And we came we would come up with ideas according to whatever the regulations would allow us at that point, and then the next day they would change again. So in late 2020. Um, we, I just decided the best thing for me to do was to hibernate the business, just stop trying, stop seeing what else we could do, just just put the business into a financial coma and get through the winter of 2020 into 2021. We came out into the beginning of 21 and the landscape was still not any better. And really during 21, we gradually started to bring the remaining staff back. We then realised that COP26 which had been supposed to happen in November of 2020, was going to go ahead in November of 21. And at that point, I knew that that was a real opportunity for us to to recover. And as it turned out, we, we did so much work for COP and we recovered in one fell swoop. And I, I was able to utilise people within our sector who were not working so we work alongside a lot of destination management companies and travel agents and people like that. And a lot, for a lot of them, the business hadn't come back at all. So we brought in some um, project managers from one of our uh, clients, one of our destination management clients, and they came in and helped us for six weeks in the lead up to and during COP26 because there was a massive jump for us in terms of um, employing a lot more chauffeurs. We suddenly had to find an extra 140 chauffeurs for COP. We had to bring in over 150 cars, in fact, more than that. We had to find place a place for all those cars to be located because our garages are not large enough. There was just a massive amount of work to do in order to get to the place which we got to, which was, over the leaders' weekends, um, uh, we were providing over 300 cars a day for COP. So it was it was phenomenal to get to that stage but very very hard um but it 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 allowed us to then come out on the other side and and we survived totally and you know that as you bring up there heather it's about relationships it's about relationships you had with your staff that you were delivering terrible news at points but you and you have retained the staff and then relationships you've had with your, your other individuals within the hospitality industry that allowed you, you had a lovely expression that you sent to me beforehand, having hardly turned a wheel for the rest of the year, <laughs> yes. you managed over 300 cars a day yeah. during COP26. I mean, that is phenomenal to go from zero to mm-hmm. that, even the the psychology of that to get up and running, Heather, strong levels of resilience shown by you and other members of your team. Resilience was a real theme for us during during the eighteen months we really did nothing. <laughs> um, I personally, I did a lot of online courses during that time. I did a, a couple, one that lasted for nine months, and it was all about resilience. Um, and that made a big difference. Uh, I tried to lead the staff, the remaining staff, in a way that showed them that I was putting my own personal resilience um, uh, at the forefront of what I was trying to do in order to keep the business going because 
there was no option for me for this business to fail because it's been around since 1966 and I had to find a way forward. I also, I reached out to a lot of people I didn't know. I, I had conversations with people within the business community in Scotland who I'd never met before in my life, but people who were either in, in a family business network or I even contacted um, Adam Clark early on of Arnold Clark just to say, you know, can you take my, my drivers? Do you need my drivers? I, you know, I don't want all of my guys to have nothing to do. So I was very much, I was doing whatever I could to try and find um, either employment or at least short-term work for my staff because none of us knew what was going to happen. But I think the resilience piece certainly was very important and, and because of that, we, we managed to survive it. And I, I always... I always think now that you know that's stood me in good stead. There's the whole classic phrase of "what doesn't kill you makes you stronger," and I, I so believe that now. I so believe that. So that comment about learning from others and sharing, etc. I know that's that's also been a key theme for you, Heather. And one of the the key points that I've known from looking into you. I'm a bit of a stalker, Heather. I better <laughs> warn you about that. But uh, you've you personally say that you've benefited personally and professionally from the Vistage um, leadership work and led up by another uh, famous Scot leading a family business, Joe McSween. I know Joe does a lot with Vistage. Could you tell our, our listeners who may not be aware of Vistage what is the ethos of this and how you have benefited, not just during challenging times, but during times of growth and innovation, how you've benefited from this network? So, Vistage is a, it's an international organisation. It's peer-to-peer learning, primarily for CEOs and senior leaders. And we have a group, you have the same group of people in a similar position to you in terms of their seniority but not in the same sector so there's no crossover with sectors and we learn from each other on a monthly basis we have a a chair who leads us our chair is Laura Gordon and she's a, she's fabulous and I've been a member since 2017 and once a month we meet each other and we talk about any business problems we're having we help each other the phrase that's used quite a lot about our Vistage group is the board you can't afford. So we effectively are almost acting as a board for each other. And as well as that, we also have international speakers who come and speak to us. There are summits and uh, open days and things around the UK and around the world. And it's a network that allows you to ask a question that you don't know the answer to sometimes and someone will know the answer and and for me it's been transformative for the business during covid it was incredibly helpful um we were having we changed from having a, a monthly meeting to having a zoom call once a week even just for a few hours with as many of us as i could get onto a call as possible to try and help each other um because of the diverse mix on our vistage group some businesses were less affected than others but for myself and other people who were in hospitality, so we had a big hotel chain, the CEO of a big hotel chain and um, the CEO of a, of a restaurant group. And so the three of us were always the ones who were looking for advice and help and support. And, and really, during, during COVID particularly, the value of Vistage was very much in, in the group. In the group. It's, it's an incredible organisation and, as I say, has made a massive difference to me. 
Yeah, and I think it's that important point about, you know, in, in other conversations, Heather, I've had, it's about the importance of mentorship, but the importance of mentorship with your peers and, and not being afraid to ask, as I would use the phrase, you know, the daft lassie, the daft laddie question there. Because as you say, Heather, more than likely somebody else has faced that problem before and the learnings that they've taken and the hiccups along the way great to be able to share that amongst your peers yes absolutely and even when no one has experienced the same thing before so so during covid one of the reasons we were we were so fortunate a member of our group is one of Scotland's leading lawyers who's who's very, very good in employment law. So he was able to help us try and work out what was furlough, what did it mean, how would it work? Because at the beginning, if you can remember, um, it was all so confusing. No one actually knew what the rules were. No one understood what it would mean for their business. And there was so much misinformation around that actually for us, having someone within our group who was looking at it um, with a legal mind and saying this is what you need to do that was absolutely incredible for for me and for those of us within the group for whom as I've mentioned furlough was was such an enormous part of our of our survival yeah absolutely and it's incredible Heather how words like zoom Teams, furlough, they just trip off the tongue now, you know, and yet at the time you're thinking, what the heck does this mean? But you came out of it, the business came out of it, the resilience showed through, and as, as we've talked already about the innovation in, in the business, it was an award-winning business pre-pandemic, you're an award-winning business going forward. You've mentioned some of the innovation that you've brought into to the business in most recent years. What does the future look like for Littles going forward and particularly the focus as we all have at the moment around net zero and, and you're in a, a challenging business for net zero targets. How are you approaching that, Heather? So during um, the lead up to the pandemic, we'd started very much looking at that and uh, we formed a green team within the business, so so people who were really focused and interested in sustainability and what that might look like for us. So internally, there was there was three people within our business who decided they wanted to take that forward. And what started as how can we make sure that we're disposing of our waste properly? It really grew arms and legs, and and last year we were awarded a green tourism award. And this is a certification which recognises our commitment to actively working to become more sustainable. And of course, it boosts our CSR credentials, which is really important, particularly when we're working with corporates. And um, we got a silver award, which for a company whose primary function is the provision of cars is something I'm very proud of. But the, the process of going through the accreditation made us really look at a lot of different things and sustainability is a multifaceted beast and you really have to look at everything that you do we uh, during cop we started the uh, the idea that we would offset all of our scottish mileage so we did that for the whole of the mileage of cop 26 and we we support a charity called trees for life which is in in the north of Scotland, and we have a grove, a Littles grove, um, that we add trees to on a quarterly basis now. So we work out how many miles our Scottish fleet has driven, 
what the grams per mile um, output is of all each individual car, etc., etc., and we come to using a using a calculated way of doing it. We come to how many trees we've got to buy. So we're doing that. Um, I'm also looking at future um, purchasing of fleet. It's not as simple as buying lots of electric cars because the infrastructure in Scotland just isn't there yet for. Um, purely electric vehicles so a lot of most of my fleet is hybrid now um, I've just bought another five hybrid Lexus saloons they've just come on fleet and there's another two coming in the summer and we're just looking ahead at the moment as to how how we can make things better going forward in the industry um, what, are, what are the innovations that we can do um, or, or lead and be at the forefront of to make sure that everything that we we are offering our clients is is as sustainable as it possibly can be. A fantastic motto for for the business and wonderful that you're also as an organisation putting back into Scotland and ensuring that the, the natural beauty of Scotland, which brings so many here for the hospitality industry, is retained and, and growing thanks thanks to these calculations that somebody's doing in an office in Govan <laughs> and planting the trees up north. Absolutely wonderful. Heather, uh, time is always is marching on. I've got a whole wad of questions I would love to ask you, so I'll have to keep those for, a, for another day. But my, my final question would be, there we are, Heather Matthews, graduate from Glasgow University. What would be the one piece of advice we would give to you, yourself, now looking back? Um, I think like so many young women, when you come out of university, the world's a bit overwhelming. You don't actually know where you're going to end up. And I think having the confidence to just try things. I think when you're young, you're scared of trying different things. And I think I would love to be able to give myself the advice to just give things a go. You never know what's going to happen. And actually, a lot of the times, that's the most exciting thing. You meet people, you do things, you go places. And, and you, don't, you don't... I think planning your future to the nth degree actually doesn't work. I think you just have to go with the flow and you'll end up somewhere great. Heather, I couldn't agree with you more. Just do it. The Nike <laughs> philosophy, yes. just do it. It's a, a wonderful note to end it on. Heather, it has been an absolute joy speaking to you. Thank you for sharing your story and importantly sharing the stories of, of Littles. And uh, I and many other of our listeners, I know, wish you and your organisation continued success in the future. Thank you very much. It's been lovely to speak to you. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.